G'day humans, welcome to the safe space for dangerous ideas. Here's a dangerous idea for you. Should snitches get stitches? Or should they, as they currently are, be lauded, acclaimed, uh, venerated, celebrated, and all kinds of other synonyms that I would probably be able to bring you if I had a thesaurus to hand? Uh, I want to talk about this. I want to talk about this phenomenon of sneaking around on the internet trying to find out bad things about people to bring them down. And like we've always had outrage archaeology, right, which is my term for you know going back to something that someone posted on Twitter nine years ago that had vaguely homophobic overtones and revealing it and making a big hoo-ha out of it, even though it's completely out of context and at a different time for a different audience in a different place. Uh, but using the existence of this artifact that you have stumbled upon or you've excavated like some deranged David Attenborough looking for salacious tidbits um, and using that in order to get someone, for example, fired from hosting the Academy Awards, as happened to Kevin Hart when he was offered uh, the hosting gig at the Academy Awards. Anyway, so we've always had that. Now there's something different going on, which I will want to just address, uh, which is a kind of coordinated community effort to root out other communities. So I'm talking specifically about what's going on uh, with respect to Gaza and Israel and Palestinian activists and uh, Israel-affiliated activists in Australia, mainly on social media and private WhatsApp threads. Uh, it's a big brouhaha. It's corrosive. You need to know about it. But first, on to more important issues like my cat. So I need you to help me here. I don't. I haven't lived with a cat since I was a child. And we got a kitten a few months ago. I'm going to crowdsource this. Is it normal? for a cat to intentionally or unintentionally occupy the space that it knows you are about to need, even if the reason why you're needing it is to benefit the cat. I example, every day I feed the cat and every day the cat food bowl goes in exactly the same place. It's right next to the water bowl. It's in a little nook. It's in a little alcove. It's an obvious place for a cat food bowl to go. The cat knows this because she eats there every single day. Correction, she doesn't eat there every single day. She eats there three times a day, sometimes four if I'm feeling generous. Every, every single time I attract her over by going, Taco, her name is Taco. I'm not just calling for tacos. Taco, and yes, she was named by the children. Taco, I go in this nice, pleasant, sort of lilting, upbeat voice, Taco. I go, oh, and she knows that that means that food's coming. So I pick up the food bowl in front of her I go and get the food, I put it in the food bowl after washing the bowl, do all that, and every single time, she's sitting where the food bowl goes. She's sitting in the place that the food bowl has to go to. What is she doing? What kind of crazed feline, fucked up mind games is she pulling on me? Or is she just stupid? Like, is it, can someone explain cat psychology to me? She's sitting there, so every time I have to try to tell her, Taco, Taco, come over here, over here, over here. And she looks up at me like I'm a, a, a bird or a fly or something. Watch what, what's daddy doing this time? I'm doing the same fucking thing I do every single time you, you eat when you sit there in the wrong place. What do you think I'm doing? I'm going to put the bowl down so you can eat it, you stupid. Anyway, that's all internal monologue. Outside, I'm going, taco, taco, look, look, over here. And eventually, I just give her a gentle kick or maybe even a not-so-gentle kick, depending on my mood. And then taco goes running away for three seconds until she sees the bowl go down and go, ooh, I'm getting food. Like it's the first thing, first time she's ever thought this might be a possibility. Why did she come over in the first place when I was whistling to her with my nice lilting 
bro, we could taco if she didn't know she was getting food. And why did she then sit in the food? Anyway, so this is what I'm thinking about. I'm also, as you may have noted, a little irritable. And I'm going to give you some insight into how the whole show is going, how Josh is doing. This is supposed to be just a little catch up uh, between uh, you and me. Uh, I'm not doing great at the moment because I cut my finger. Um, if you're watching the YouTube video, and if you're not, if you just listen to the podcast, why the hell aren't you just watching the YouTube as well? Then you get the best of all possible worlds. Uh, except for the olfactory sense, you don't get to smell my fragrance and you don't get to taste me. But that's coming, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, so if you were watching the YouTube, I would be able to show you the cut, but I'm not going to because it's so small that it would be embarrassing to complain about such a small cut. So you just as well are listening to the podcast. Forget what I just said. Just listen to the podcast, people. Forget YouTube. It's a joke. Um, so I, I'm drinking a delicious beverage, um, a non-alcoholic beer, because I've been doing a lot of work. We've been uh, we've been moving. We're still keeping our house. We're moving into a place uh, not far away that uh, has more space and so we're gonna rent and they're gonna rent and you know how how adorable moving is so at the end of a long day of moving i'm enjoying a delicious non-alcoholic beverage mm. unfortunately i'm standing in a house that has nothing in it uh so it's just me like a crazy man and my recording equipment and literally nothing else in the entire house including not a bottle opener Hence, my injured hand, I've been wandering around the garden trying to smash the bottle top on as many sharp edges as I can to take it off because I'm not one of those cool guys who can burst a bottle top off just by, I don't know, shoving it into his eye socket uh, or whatever that might be. Um, anyway, snitches is what we're talking about. Where were we? So, there was this big brouhaha in Australia um, around the time that I left the ABC when another colleague of mine who was only hired as a fill-in presenter for just five days, she, she was basically removed after three days and so five days because she was extremely proactive about um, uh, tweeting and putting a post on social media pro-Palestinian stuff that was uh, definitely not impartial, let's just say. You know, certainly not the worst of the stuff, the, the kind of stuff that, that bumps up against sort of anti-Semitism that I've criticized on this show in the past, but nonetheless, not stuff that befits an impartial news organization. Um, in a very ham-fisted and stupid way, the news organization got rid of her two days early. Uh, they shouldn't have hired in the first place if they wanted to be that scrupulous about impartiality once they had hired her. Where's the harm in just letting her finish out her week? It came to light that one of the reasons why she was pulled from air two days early on her five-day stint was because the, the bosses had allegedly been um, pressured by a bunch of semi-secretive WhatsApp groups that were entitled things like Lawyers for Israel and so on. So in comes the conspiratorial hand of Jewish power, supposedly uh, you know, pulling the strings and, um, and being the puppet masters for everything, and the organization being cowed. Um, this was a very bad look. It created a bit of a national scandal. And whatever you think of how incompetently um, uh, uh, this individual was dispatched from the public broadcaster, I think it's ridiculous to suggest that it only happened because she was on one side of this particular political divide. If anything, the uh, the public broadcaster, uh, I believe, has been um, you know scrupulously compassionate towards the Palestinian side of things. They have not bowed to wild activist pressure to call the 
Israeli campaign genocide, but they certainly, I, I think, you know, just imagine the shoe was on the other foot. You know, have a thought experiment here. Just imagine that instead of instead of this individual being a woman of color who was supportive of Palestine, if it was a white male who was supportive of Israel, that person would have been fired. I think more promptly. In fact, that person would never have been hired in the first place as easily as a woman of color who supports traditionally disenfranchised people. Um, that's not to say that this person is untalented. She's a great talent, and uh, you know I have a lot of respect for her. Um, but the way that the firing happened, I think, was evidence of incompetence rather than a particular political bias. Nonetheless, so imagine that you had you know a, a, an association of pro-Palestinian, uh, you know, pro-Muslim uh, activists who were all chanting outside the public broadcasters' offices, as indeed they have been and had done. Um, and imagine if that was the reason why an individual was uh, dismissed for having been having posted partisan uh, opinions about a controversial public event. You know, we wouldn't suggest that there's a nefarious kind of dark, evil puppet master characteristic to brown-skinned Arabs chanting and waving signs and saying that, you know, this person needs to go. That would just seem like a legitimate way of swaying things. But when Jewish Australians or so-called pro-Israeli Australians uh, try to you know, produce letter writing campaigns and try to sway things in the in what they regard as being the interests of the good. It somehow is tainted with this kind of nasty, nefarious, hook nosed, slithering, slobbering sort of nastiness that just doesn't apply to any other lobby group. Of course, lobby groups try to um, you know promote their own point of view to people who control powerful institutions like media out outlets. Um, there are some there are some you know groups in our community who, when they do that, it's regarded as being nefarious, and others who, when they do that, it's regarded as being noble. Um, and the reasons why are probably complicated. I don't think it's all to do with rank anti-Semitism, but anti-Semitism certainly doesn't help. Um, what's happening now, though, is that there's not just an attempt to pressure institutions to be responsible, to be even-handed, to be uh, you know reasonable. There's now pressure to essentially cancel individuals who don't toe the line. Um, this is getting dark, and it's what I mean when I say that we're encountering a kind of culture where there's a veneration for snitching. So one of these WhatsApp groups was a WhatsApp group that was of um, Jewish creatives in Australia, and it was originally created after October 7th as a uh, a way to provide support, moral support, emotional support to people who are feeling traumatized about the largest slaughter of civilian Jews since the Holocaust, um, and certainly then subsequently traumatized by the nature of the backlash in Australia. You know, it's worth noting that no matter how much people rant and rail and, you know, gnash their teeth about the injustices being unleashed on Palestinians, and those injustices are real and they're tragic, um, it is not. Muslim Australians or Arab Australians who have to dress their school children in in um, you know fake clothes so that you can't tell that they're Muslim for fear of being attacked. It is not Australian mosques that have to beat up their security for fear of being firebombed. Um, it is not people who are giving speeches in favour of a free Palestine who have to worry about being assassinated 
or there being a suicide bomber in the midst. It is always the Jews who suffer the most hate crimes. Statistically, they are the victims by far of the largest number of hate crimes, far ahead of LGBTQIA plus Australians, far ahead of Muslim Australians. So although this is not a competition, it is just worth noticing that we often don't think about Jews as suffering, you know, as being essentially the victims. We think of them as being allied with this shitty little country that keeps inflicting its colonialist whims on poor neighboring Arabs, those Arabs who have also been betrayed, shall we say, by all of the other Arab states. Um, and I could have a whole rant, and maybe I should someday, about the kind of infantilization of Arabs that is I implicit in the pro-Palestinian movement. Like this person who I was talking about who was posting all of this pro-Palestinian stuff and who the ABC thought was being too activist is part of a... Um, you know, for all the best intentions, part of a movement that fundamentally deprives Arabs of agency because it fundamentally implies that Saudi Arabia and Syria and Jordan and Egypt, that these places, these leaders and these people are incapable of um, collaborating with Palestinians to find a solution to uh, Palestinian dispossession. Now, they're not capable, obviously, of finding a solution to the dispossession of the Palestinians who were living in pre-1967 Israel. The Israel was you know, given to the Jews originally. Um, but what happens to this refugee situation in the West Bank and in Gaza is always put exclusively on the Israelis. You know, I mean, the, Gaza has a border with Egypt as well. You never hear Egypt being accused of being the people who are creating a, an open-air sewer or an open-air prison in Gaza. It's always the Israelis. Well, there are two borders. So anyway, there's this whole double standard thing, I think, where we essentially the Arabs fuck over the Palestinians as much as they possibly can and get a free pass because we just go, oh, you know what, they're corrupt and dysfunctional. And also, you know, there's no Arab state that's decent anyway, so they're a basket case. But the Jews have this rich democracy and they should know better because they're one of us. Um, so nonetheless, despite just parking that, uh, that notion for just a moment, after October 7th, there were these uh, WhatsApp groups of uh, Jewish Australians who were providing support, emotional support for each other. Someone sent me an invitation as a, a Jewish, uh, you know, non-religious, but ethnically Jewish uh, Australian. I'm certainly Jewish enough for a jihadist, put it that way. I'm, I'm Jewish enough for Hitler. I'm Jewish enough for a suicide bomber to, make, to call me fair game. Uh, so uh, I joined this thing and I got a little bit um, disturbed by it. After about a month maybe six weeks, I saw that a lot of the chat was being dominated by a few voices who were extremely concerned about weeding out um, Australian influences, social media influences, and media personalities who they perceived as being biased against uh, Israel, perhaps biased against Jews. And the talk was about how to get these people punished how to write letters to their publishers and have them uh, have their publishing contracts cancelled, write letters to their agents and have their relationships with their agents severed, write letters to their podcast networks and have their podcasts cancelled. And the only thing I ever wrote in this WhatsApp thread, the only contribution I ever made to it or any other, was to chime in with a lengthy post and say, May I offer a piece of constructive criticism? Please let's not go down the cancel culture path. If people, you know, we are a big, strong, rambunctious country. We are capable of tolerating idiots. We are capable of tolerating haters. I don't think we want to start a cycle 
where the way that we respond to people's bad ideas is by expending our energies not on criticizing those ideas, not on adding to the public square, but rather by trying to take them down and trying to have them fired or otherwise punished or, you know, sometimes in some cases have their livelihoods destroyed. And a few people got back to me and were very angry and thought that I was betraying the team and that, you know, I wasn't on their side. And so I didn't pay any more attention and I muted the thing. And then uh, eventually I got booted out of it anyway when they had a purge of people because apparently there was a leak. Someone had submitted some screenshots of some of these things to, um, to people who probably, like me, were equally concerned about it. For the record, I was not the person who, uh, who leaked any screenshots of these things. I wouldn't do that either um, because I believe that, you know, private conversations should have a right to, to remain private. Nonetheless, um, it's understandable that some people who were worried about this might have thought that there was um, some utility in letting the people who were being targeted by these groups know that it was happening. So fast forward to now. And now it seems that some of the pro-Palestinian or otherwise sort of, you know, just the kind of white mummy bloggers in Australia, the Instagrammers who have been uh, extremely excited and excitable about their newfound role as moral saviors in which they can get to the bottom of just why Frank Lowy, one of Australia's richest men, was giving so much money to the federal government and he happens to be a Jew and the federal government is supporting Israel. So as this mummy blogger said, she's not saying that the government does what this Jewish uh, industrialist wants, but she is saying that he pays them money and they do what he wants. Hmm. Ooh, so clever. Ooh, so brilliant. Sherlock opening up these incredible... Oh, we've never heard this before. We've never heard this insinuation that governments are in the pocket of Jews. And, uh, you know, we can set a sign for the moment that governments get bucket loads of money from all kinds of different industries. Uh, there is a disproportionately large number of Jewish donations to government in Australia than there is from all other industries and all other companies. And there's no one-on-one. And yes, there is, of course influence and influence peddling between the big end of town and the decision that the government makes. But to cherry pick one person who happens to be Jewish and then create some insinuation about the reason why Australia's national security policy is dictated because someone was giving money to the governing power. I mean, honestly, it's like, it's first grade stuff. Um, Nonetheless, there's this cohort of people who've been very, very active and they've been trying to weed out all of these kind of evil shadowy forces uh, that are preventing Australia and the rest of the world from doing the right thing, which is presumably to, I mean, at the very least they would say is insist on a ceasefire in which Hamas is able to resurrect its control over Gaza at the same time as they would say that they don't support Hamas. But at the most, they would probably say that we need to get rid of Israel as a state and create a, a modern-day Palestine run you know, as a democracy with majority Arabs uh, and with Jews as a minority. And of course, that country would be just as good towards the Jews as all the other countries in the Middle East have been, just as good to gays, just as good to women as the other Muslim Arab states, of which approximately zero are places where you, any of these people, would want to live and where any of their rights as feminists would be upheld. Nonetheless, set that aside. So they are on this big uh, bandwagon. And now part of this is that they want to make sure that uh, they are as punitive as possible towards anyone who was trying to punish them. So they seem to have access now to some of these private WhatsApp threads. 
And a colleague of mine came up to me and said, Chet, are you worried about this fact that they're going through this? They're going through thousands and thousands and thousands of messages. They've got the names of the people who were in this in these threads. I, I laughed. I said, like, why would I be worried? And they were like, well, your name might be associated with the thread that you you joined. I was like, so what? I mean, I was just spying on it anyway. I mean, I, this is the last thing that I would even... You're, like, you're basically asking me, should I be worried that terrorists have some information about me that they might misuse? Well, I don't know. I mean, maybe, but I can't go around worrying about whether or not terrorists are going to like abuse. I didn't do anything wrong, so I have nothing to fear, put it that way. That may sound naive, but I mean, how else can one go through life? Uh, they go through the, the thread, the only thing they're going to see is me arguing it for the right to, of pro-Palestinians to say whatever the fuck they want to in this great country of ours. So we now have a situation where there was these Jewish threads who were devoting, these Jewish WhatsApp message groups, in other words, who were devoting a lot of time to trying to bring down, punish, sideline, excommunicate, strip income from people who were also online who were saying things that were pro-Palestinian and anti-Israeli and perhaps anti-Semitic. Now you have other WhatsApp threads, podcasters, influencers, uh, community message boards who are who have access to those messages and those communities and are now trying to do the same thing back to them. And I have people asking me whether I'm worried about being cancelled by the people who are pouring over the details of the people who were pouring over the details of the people who were saying things that were anti-Semitic. I mean, fuck off. Fuck this circular firing squad bullshit. Since when is it great to be a snitch? Since when is it great to be a sniveling little weasel going through thousands and thousands of comments to try to find someone who said something mean or nasty about your fucking pet cause? Get over yourself. Grow up. If someone says something that's wrong or evil or misguided, you have a microphone. You have a supercomputer in your pocket. You have a Twitter feed. You have an Instagram feed. You have whatever you want. You have your friends. You have your colleagues. You have the letters page of the newspapers. You have talkback radio. You have all of the means. You have more means than anyone has ever had in the history of the world to get your message out. Go and make the case. Go and make the case. It reminds me of when I interviewed Peter Singer on his live tour of Australia, the great ethicist and philosopher. And he was talking about the fact that you know, back in the day in the 90s, it was the Christian right who were protesting him. And nowadays, it's the woke left who protest him the most. And I was putting to him the, the point that I often hear, which is like, isn't it right for speech to have consequences? You know, it's not cancel culture to respond to someone's shitty idea. It's, it's consequence culture, some people say. You know, you, what you're asking, what the people who oppose cancel culture are asking for, so, it, so the argument goes, is for carte blanche to say whatever they want without any consequence. Well, I'm sorry, it doesn't work that way. When we redefine the rules of the game and we say you, you're, you're, you're no longer allowed to say this, but you're allowed to, are allowed to say that, then there have to be consequences for breaking those rules. And cancel culture is simply consequences for being a shithead. And Peter Singer said, I'm not sure I put it quite like that, shithead uh, to the illustrious Mr. Singer. He said, yeah, that's fine, but the consequence has to be another argument about the merits of my points. 
the consequence isn't supposed to be you prevent me from being able to live a life or earn an income. I mean, at the far edges, I suppose we could argue whether or not that's just. Like, well, what about Nazis? People say, you know, should a Nazi be able to go around hiling Hitler and still be employed? Shouldn't we try to get them fired? Okay, yeah, you can have your Nazi example, maybe. I mean, even then, I wouldn't say you should you should get the person fired. Yeah, the employer should perhaps be uh, be aware of the fact that the person is doing this stuff, but the employer should not be put in an impossible situation because there's a social media pile on that is trying to coerce the employer to get this person fired, not for the merits of the case of whether the person is a Nazi, but precisely because there is a mob with flaming pitchforks. Uh, flaming pitchforks, flaming torches and pitchforks. I'd like to see a flaming pitchfork. That'd be good. Very tiny, small candle flames on the ends of each of the pitchforks. Uh, you know, the, the, the existence of the mob, in other words, should not be the reason why we're making decisions about hiring and firing. This is not a good way to run HR, you know, just because there's a mob screaming at the, at the door. And so Peter Singer's point really hit home, and I've tried to follow that ever since. Yes, there should be consequences for being anti-Semitic. Yes, there should be consequences for being Islamophobic. Yes, there should be consequences for arguing for the genocide of Palestinians or of Jews. Those consequences should be that everyone around you thinks you're a fuckwit and says so and argues with you and tries to prove why you're wrong. The consequences should not be that secret WhatsApp uh, community groups pour over everything you've said to try to take out of context the most negative looking piece, thing that you've ever said in order to write to conduct clandestine letter writing campaigns uh, or even overt uh, marches on the street in order to pressure and influence and coerce uh, and strong arm people into depriving you of an income, depriving you of essentially completely unrelated goods that you, like everybody, have a right to have in a free society. Um, so I don't like the rise of woke snitches. I don't like the rise of conservative snitches. I think you can always just make the example for yourself about um, whether or not what you're doing is the right thing by putting the shoe on the other foot and saying, would I like this if someone was doing it to me? And if your response to that is, well, no, I wouldn't, but uh, you know, what they're doing is especially egregious. Stop it. Stop it. You don't know that. You are not God. Have a little bit of epistemological humility. Understand that my perspective about the world is just my perspective. Yours is just your perspective. You know, I'm, it's not it's not wild relativism to simply give the benefit of the doubt to people who you don't agree with. I, I can firmly believe that I am objectively right about something, and I can also respect the principle, the algorithm, the heuristic, the sort of life rule that people who don't get it are nonetheless entitled to live a free and fulfilling life. Um, you know, don't turn into what you hate, I guess is what I'm saying. This is this has an analog lastly in the trans debate where the indoctrination of young people into um, the belief that there really is no such thing as two sexes or two genders, that it's something that you make up, it's something that human beings decide, that human beings can decide to change sexes, um, that you know, people who are gay, for example, are attracted to the opposite gender, not the opposite sex. Um, it's muddying, essentially. The the sort of the 
the philosophy that in some ways I fear demonizes effeminate gay boys and butch gay girls by implying that they're not doing gender quite right and they're probably trans and is, that is probably encouraging quite a lot of young camp guys to think that they might in fact be women instead of just effeminate gay guys. Like this whole ideology has is it is now pulling back from the extremes that it had and there's a bit of gaslighting going on about whether or not um, the extreme trans activists who I must add are rarely actually trans people themselves these are often you know much like the Palestinian activists who are the most anti-semitic and most active on Australian social media they're not Palestinian they're not even Arabs they're just well-meaning white clueless white girls um, similarly you know a lot of this trans stuff is pushed by university educated white cisgender people who regard themselves as allies and get a boner for a feeling that they're doing the Lord's work uh, in you know their secular atheist way of convincing uh, convincing everybody that they're that these people are better than them because they don't believe in gender um, so the indoctrination the insistence of only having gender affirming care the young people and of never questioning the orthodoxy and never interrogating whether or not for example a 13 year old girl who presents as gender dysphoric and says that she's actually a boy should also be asked about whether or not she has depression whether or not she has autism whether or not she has anxiety whether there's anything else going on it's been verboten it has been impossible to ask that without being condemned as a conversion therapy loving uh, you know, anti-trans, anti-trans bigot, and the fact that that it, that indoctrination was so intense, the argument for why it was so rigid was: look, we're trying to fight against something which has been uh, horribly pervasive for trans people for a long, long time, which is this orthodoxy of the sex binary and the belief that being transgender was some kind of psychological dysfunction, some kind of perversion. And in order to push back against that orthodoxy, we have to create create this new orthodoxy. I hate that. Don't create the new orthodoxy. Don't silence your critics. Don't become a censorious douchebag. Don't become the thing you hate. Don't enforce orthodoxies. Don't hunt dissenters of any stripe. Don't suppress debate for any reason. That's the rule. Pointing to the other side and saying, yeah, but they're doing it or they did it first or we have to counter their hegemony by becoming a dark force of our own. Stop it. Stop scrolling through other people's private message threads to try to find information that you can hang them with. Go out, get a life, learn something, have some empathy, talk to to people who you disagree with, with actual listening ears on, and... Try to understand them. Try to understand them and try to articulate your position to them in a way that they will at least understand, if not agree with. Lastly, I heard the wonderful Tim Urban, a friend of mine, fabulous guy, on a podcast. I don't remember which one it was. And he was talking about, this is in his book, which you should read. Um, he was talking about um, how this sort of social justice left woke uh, sensitivity, censoriousness, um, victimhood culture. It's a bit like, he gives an analogy, if someone said to you, over in that corner, you see that boxer, that boxer, that dude, he is the best boxer in the entire world. And then you say, who has he fought? And they say, no one, he's too good. We don't want to risk you know, him being punched. 
you wouldn't necessarily agree that that boxer is the best boxer in the world. You would probably want to see that boxer again in the ring and see how the boxer actually works when they suffer punches from an opponent. You certainly wouldn't trust this person who is saying that they need to keep their boxer inoculated and uh, protected from punches. That's the way that the new social justice left regards ideas. Their ideas are the best ideas in the world, and you're not allowed to criticize them. And the moment you do criticize them, they're not going to come back and attack the idea. They're not going to get in the ring with you. They're going to walk out of the boxing stadium, and they're going to go and try to. They're going to tap, 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 on and, and try to get you fired by, you know, sneakily telling telling on you. They're snitches. They're snitches. I'm sorry. Let's stop revering snitches. Snitches. Maybe they should get stitches. Thank you. God bless. See you next time.